Good morning, Peninsula Grace. Good morning. Um, I'm going to start here at the beginning. Uh, well, it's good to be with you all this morning. If I haven't met you yet, my name is Danny. I serve here as the youth pastor and one of the elders at Peninsula Grace, and it is a pleasure to be able to share the word with you guys this morning. Um, uh, as I said, uh, it's an opportunity that I get to, to speak very once in a while, uh, and uh, Justin thinks that it's good for me to kind of gain some reps every once in a while to share with you guys, and I think it's a great idea too. Um, but there's definitely uh, always a little bit of, of, of stress in, in a good way to dive into God's Word a little bit deeper and to be able to share it with you all. Um, so uh, uh, this morning we're going to be looking at Exodus 5 through 7, 7. And this is um, right directly after uh, the end where Moses is commissioned by God to go and speak to Pharaoh and the Israelites and to uh, have the people freed from their slavery, their enslavement in Egypt. And right before we step into five, just as a recap of, of the end of chapter four, um, Moses is reluctant to go. And, and God says, listen, there's going to be a few signs and wonders that I will perform so that the people understand that I am the one who sent you. And so Aaron meets Moses halfway or midway on his way to Egypt. They go to the people, they perform a couple of these wonders, and they say, yes, okay, we understand that God is sending you to come and free us. And so the people of Israel are on his side. And we open up the chapter, chapter 5, um, with Moses kind of having the people at his back and on this uh, commission quest to go and speak to Pharaoh. And it's a still a little bit scary for him. He's still uncertain. He's not exactly sure about this whole process. And it's here where we get to the middle of the story of Exodus, really. It's kind of the beginning of the book itself, but it's really kind of the middle section uh, right before we get to kind of what we think of as the main story of Exodus, at least for me. When I think of Exodus, I think about... Um, all the ten plagues and their, uh, the exodus out of Egypt and the splitting of the Red Sea and all those crazy events that we're going to talk about in the weeks to come. And here the, in the middle, right before that all happens, there's a couple things that are building into that moment that is trying to shift our focus away from some of those things. Because a lot of times when I, when I think about those things, I think about Moses, I think about Aaron, I think about Pharaoh, and yes, the, the, the signs and the wonders I attribute to God, but in the interweaving of the rest of the verses, I'm not necessarily paying attention to how God is trying to communicate to us, to Pharaoh, and to Moses. And this is the main theme of these couple chapters, is that in our defiance, and this is kind of Pharaoh's position, or in our struggle, Moses' position, God is confirming who he is. And this, I mean, ultimately, I know it's a little cliche, but this is what all of Scripture is about, right? But here especially, he's trying to refocus our eyes and our minds and our hearts as we read through this before we enter into some of these grand things that are about to happen to make you understand, like, this is about me, ultimately, not about Moses or Pharaoh. So if you guys have your Bibles, if you want to open up to Exodus 5, we're going to start there, and we're going to read a couple of the verses, and then we're going to stop. <laughs> so let's uh, open up to math, or Exodus chapter 5. 
In verse 1, it says, Later, Moses and Aaron went in and said to Pharaoh, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Let my people go, so that they may hold a festival for me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh responded, Who is the Lord that I should obey him by letting Israel go? I don't know the Lord, and besides, I will not let Israel go. Okay. So we're going to stop here because there's a couple things that we need to talk about before we go into the rest of chapters 5 and 6. First, Pharaoh poses this question, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice? And what this is is a really big slap in the face to God. Not, not, Not to Moses, but to God. He's saying, I don't know who you are, and I don't care. You know, don't know, don't care, how's that? We'll move on. And Moses... Already he's kind of struggling with some of the confidence in God in this scenario. So he kind of recoils a little bit at Pharaoh's kind of staunch reaction. And there's a couple questions that we need to ask, not only ourselves, but also with Pharaoh in this. One being, do we question or challenge God's authority in our lives? And we can ask this, of course, about Pharaoh. Here he's not questioning, he's challenging. But we kind of bounce between these two things often, and they're very different. Questioning, it's, it's uncertain. It's a little bit of doubt in there, and, you, and you're just needing to clarify some things, and there's not confidence in who he is. Challenging is immediately standing firm in your own power and authority and saying, you're not God, I'm God. Okay? And in those two areas, how deep are we going to go into either one of those pits? How far are we going to keep digging into either questioning or challenging? And this is where we begin to see this back-and-forth tug-of-war battle between Pharaoh and between God as he continues to dig into this pit that he's making for himself. He's purposefully plugging his ears and ignoring who God is. Before I get to the second point on this, There's something that seems kind of ridiculous from an outside perspective in this time and place. In the ancient Near Eastern cultures, all the leaders of the world would find this to be a very dumb thing for Pharaoh to do, not in his best interest. And we see this later uh, with with King Cyrus, when he takes control of all of Babylon and all the other countries of the world, as well as Israel, who were in exile in Babylon. When King Cyrus has control of all these people, they all have different deities that they're worshiping. And King Cyrus understands that it's a wise thing. I don't know your God, but because of that, I don't want to be smited by your other gods, so go and worship your other gods. He sends the Israelites back to build the temple. He sends other people back to their countries to appease their gods because he says, if you're happy and stable, then my country and world is happy and stable. So just from a wise common knowledge perspective, This was a dumb thing for Pharaoh to do, to hold fast to his own power and authority rather than make the people happy to keep everybody else happy. And obviously, it's for a specific purpose. Second thing in these first couple verses, the let my people go phrase is a really big phrase when we think about the Exodus. That's one of the things that comes to my mind when I think about it. The big firm, let my people go. All right? We need to restructure a little bit how we think about that. In Hebrew, it actually is saying, send my people away. And that is important to distinguish because, first, letting go emphasizes going with or without your blessing. 
It's saying, no matter what you say, we're still going to go. That's not what they're asking Pharaoh to do. What they're asking Pharaoh to do is to commission them to go and serve God. Sending emphasizes the commissioning to go and serve God. And that's important because this also mirrors what God just did to Moses. He's commissioning Moses to go and do his bidding. And Moses says, okay, and that's what God is wanting from Pharaoh in giving Moses these instructions to send to Pharaoh. And what we're hoping for is this beautiful like gathering back with Moses and Pharaoh and saying, okay, sure, you guys can go and, and you worship your God and we'll all be happy and you can come back here and continue to serve me. And I'm going to use a lot of images from Prince of Egypt because also when I think about the Exodus, that's like the movie that I go to in my head all the time. But obviously this is not what happens. And the king of Egypt says that I'm not going to let them go. And in verse 3 through 5, and I don't have it up on screen, and 3 through 5, if you follow along in, in the scriptures, they answered, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go on a three-day trip into the wilderness so that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God, or else he may strike us with plague or sword. And the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why are you causing the people to neglect their work or their burden bearing? Get to your labor. Pharaoh also said, look, the people of the land are so numerous, and you would stop them from their labor. And I know I don't have it up on screen, but there's a couple things that we need to see in there as well. First, they say, he may strike us with plague or sword. Like, I thought he's about to do that to the Egyptians. Why would he do that to us? And what they're trying to say to him is like, we need to obey God's commands. And we understand from chapter 4, when God gives a command, he's serious about it. And what, it's, it's in your best interest for us to go so that we can stay healthy and, and, and staying underneath our God's authority. Otherwise, we could have some problems. And yet he still ignores this possibility. And his rebuttal is, I want them to stay and work and not rest and in that verse, verse 4 and 5, it says rest and work right next to each other. And the only other time that we see that pairing in a verse is in Genesis 2, when God rests from his work. And the law of honoring the Sabbath has not been given yet. And yet we understand from Genesis 2 that God has already set the stage for where his heart is in our resting from our work. And Pharaoh is adamantly against that. So his large response, we'll read this together, starting in verse 6. That day Pharaoh commanded the overseers of the people as well as their foremen, don't continue to supply the people with straw for making bricks as before. They must go and gather straw for themselves, but require the same quota of bricks from them as they were making before. Do not reduce it, for they are slackers. That is why they are crying out, let us go and sacrifice to our God. Impose heavier work on the men, then they will be preoccupied with it and not pay attention to deceptive words. So the overseers and foremen of the people went out and said to them, this is what Pharaoh says, I am not giving you straw. Go get straw for yourselves wherever you can find it, but there will be no reduction at all in your workload. So the people scattered throughout all the land of Egypt to gather stubble for straw. The overseers insisted, Finish your assigned work each day just as you did when straw was provided. 
Then the Israelite foremen, whom Pharaoh's slave drivers had set over the people, were beaten and asked, Why haven't you finished making your prescribed number of bricks yesterday or today as you did before? So the Israelite foreman went in and cried for help to Pharaoh. Why are you treating your servants this way? No straw has been given to your servants, yet they say to us, Make bricks. Look, your servants are being beaten, but it is your own people who are at fault. But he said, You are slackers. Slackers. Somehow uh, Mr. Strickland from Back to the Future got in here. That is why you are saying, Let us go sacrifice to the Lord. Now get to work. No straw will be given to you, but you must produce the same quantity of bricks. And the Israelite foremen saw that they were in trouble when they were told, you cannot reduce your daily quota of bricks. And when they left Pharaoh, they confronted Moses and Aaron, who stood waiting to meet them. May the Lord take note of you and judge. They said to them, because you have made us reek to Pharaoh and his officials, putting a sword in their hand to kill us. Okay, I know that was a large section. But in verses 6 through 9, here is where, and I'm stealing this phrase from Dr. Imes, this is where the rap battle begins. Kind of Pharaoh says something, then God's going to say something, and Pharaoh says something, they kind of go through this whole back and forth. And it commences this process through the rest of chapter 15. And he responds by increasing their burdens. And there's something that we need to pull from this and understand. When he says, make them do it, so that they pay no attention. And that phrase, pay no attention, is synonymous with the word listen. And when we study the word listen, or the Shema that's later given to the Hebrews that they would recite in the morning and the evening, every single day, that would also mean follow, like obey. There is no Hebrew word for the word obey. So when listen was put in place, it was understood you needed to, to do that, not just hear it. So later in Scripture when it says they have ears, but they do not hear, it means they they might be listening to it, but they're not following through with it. And here he's telling them, I want them to work so hard that they don't pay any attention to the rules they have to follow or the instructions they have to follow. So Pharaoh responds with an act of control to make them numb. Make them numb to the instructions that God is giving them. And in the midst of that, when he says, go about all the land of Egypt, this is another area that I, I just kind of have missed when I think about the story of Exodus. I kind of think of it about, about as like the capital, excuse me, the capital area. You know, it's the entire land of Egypt. It's not the largest country in the world by any means, but it's not tiny. And if you're walking around daily to go and look for straw and stubble, you're not going to get your work done that you were previously assigned to. It's not going to happen. It's, it's kind of ridiculous. It's a ridiculous request. And yet, the reason here is so that he makes them no longer idle. I think another translation will call that because they're idle instead of slackers. He uses they're just idle. So he's going to make them busy. And it's kind of flipping this phrase that we utilize a lot, that the uh, idle hands are the devil's workshop. It's kind of the same thinking that he's using here. And, and yet he's kind of taking control as, as the devil. Like, I'm going to make you busy so that you're not idle enough to pay attention to your God. And as a result of not completing their quotas, he's going to make them pay. And they're beaten, and they're burdened even more. And now the groaning that God already heard before this is now, you, you, we can imagine, just doubled in the amount of anguish and oppression that is happening. And what we'll see in response, God's response to this burden-bearing, 
in response to this oppression is that as we move forward through the plagues that Justin will do in the coming weeks, the punishment will match the extent of the oppression. When they have to go into all the land of Egypt, it is not just in like Pharaoh's main city there where the punishment is going to take place, where God's signs and wonders is going to take place. It's all the land of Egypt. And I think that that kind of changes our perspective a little bit. Because some, some of them might not know exactly what's going on, you know, 20 miles away. And yet they're all affected by, by Pharaoh's defiance towards God. And in verse 18, it shows the competition of who owns the Israelites. When Pharaoh says, go and work or serve me. And they're pulling back and forth. They're my people. And that just doesn't cut it with God. But verse 22 and 23, right before we see God's response to the opening rap battle, verse 22, Moses went back to the Lord and asked, Lord, why have you caused trouble for this people? And why did you ever send me? Ever since I went into Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has caused trouble for this people. And you haven't rescued your people at all. So a couple things to pull from here. Moses, I mean, he's kind of broken. At the beginning of chapter 5, the people were on his side. Him and Aaron, they go in, they show a couple signs and wonders to clarify, yes, we are with Yahweh. And they say, okay, yeah, we believe you, and and we are so excited to what's going to happen next. And now they're totally against him. They said, let God judge you. That's what they said to Moses and Aaron. And Moses is distraught. And it only starts kicking at the lack of confidence he already has. And the, the, the thing that we need to notice here is that God is inviting him to speak to him honestly. That in his hurt, in his brokenness, he's saying, yeah, go ahead and tell me how you feel. And he doesn't rebuke Moses for doing this. And we, we're repeated, we, we, we repeatedly see this throughout Scripture, and especially, especially in Psalms, where like 80% of those psalms or 70% of those psalms are lament psalms or angry psalms. Like they're not all just praise psalms. It's honest words saying, I am frustrated. We've, we've taught our two-year-old or almost three-year-old that when she's upset rather than just kind of scream and wail to tell us, I'm angry or I'm frustrated. And it's so funny to hear her say a big word like that. But that's important to like, for her to understand this is where I'm at right now and for us to speak into that. And notice that Moses is not lamenting to the people about God either. He goes to the source of authority so as not to undermine God's power and authority so that the people don't turn against God. Okay, so he goes to God. God doesn't rebuke him. And in his weakness, God shows his power. And here is God's response to Moses' anguish and position that he's in. In 6, verse 1. But the Lord replied to Moses, Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Because of a strong hand, he will let them go. And because of a strong hand, he will drive them from this land. Then God spoke to Moses, telling him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as God Almighty. But I was not known to them by my name, the Lord. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land they lived in as aliens. Furthermore, 
I have heard the groaning of the Israelites, whom the Egyptians are forcing to work as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Okay, as we open here to God's response to Moses' doubt and uncertainty and frustration, God says, now you will see what I will do. And when he says, with a strong hand, he will let them go, because of a strong hand, he will drive them from this land, that's God saying, because of my strong hand, he will let them go. And because of my strong hand, he will drive them out. And what's really cool about him using this phrase, this is the first time that God uses this phrase, strong hand, and then in verse 6, I stopped right before that, but in verse 6, he uses strong hand and then outstretched arm. And what's neat to pay attention to in, that, in those phrases is that for all the, the dynasties before this pharaoh and after him, all the most common pictures, I don't want to say pictures, but like stone reliefs, the drawings on parchment or stone of pharaoh was this mace pose. And it's with a strong hand holding his mace and an outstretched arm that this is the most common picture of the pharaohs through all the dynasties. And it's to show that they are the ones in authority across all the world. And God uses this mirrored picture to say, with my strong hand, I'm going to make this happen. And in verse 6, he says, I, with my outstretched arm, I will do these things. So in the midst of Moses' doubt, he repeats to him, listen, this is what I'm going to do. Trust me. Okay? And so we follow, I'm going to go back, we follow in verse 6 to 8, we get several I will statements, and you can fill them in the blank, and I'll have it up on screen here in a minute, but we'll read it together, verse 6. Therefore, tell the Israelites, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from the forced labor of the Egyptians and rescue you from slavery to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and great acts of judgment. I will take you as my people, and I will be your God. You will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from the forced labor of the Egyptians. I will bring you to the land that I swore to give Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. These seven I will statements declare Yahweh's commitment to his people's redemption. In the midst of Moses' doubt and questioning, he's saying, I am going to do this. And I want to touch on it just for a minute. I missed it last service. There's a little bit of a problematic verse in here as we talk about God declaring like who he is and what he's going to do. And in verse 3, it kind of says something a little bit funny, and I just want to touch on it briefly. Uh, don't want to go too far into the weeds. But verse 3 says, I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as God Almighty, but I was not known to them by my name, the Lord. And I'm bummed I missed this last service, but this is considered one of the most controversial verses in Exodus, so I do want to touch on it briefly. But there's two things to understand uh, to, to kind of how we can take this verse. Because what this verse is saying is, I did not reveal myself to them. They didn't know who I was before, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But now you guys will see. And the way that scholars kind of look at this verse is that he's saying, they didn't know me fully, like, I am going to reveal myself even more so with these coming acts and signs and wonders that you're going to see. And they only got, a, a, like, a taste of who I am, okay? And specifically when it says, my name, the Lord, or my name, Yahweh, I did not re reveal myself to them. 
But it's a little problematic in thinking about back in Genesis 3, or excuse me, in Exodus 3, in verses 13, 14, and 15, he says to them, like, I did reveal myself to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And what other scholars have said is that the Hebrew grammar in here kind of structures the sentence almost like a question. And when Moses is doubting right before God says, this is what I will do, the question that actually makes a little bit more sense in how this could be posed is in verse 3 when he says, I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as God Almighty. Was I not known to them by my name Yahweh? As like a rhetorical question. I made myself known to them. Don't you trust who I am? Look what I did for Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. All the promises that I made to them, I am continuing to fulfill. There's not a reason to doubt me. Okay? And, and we get these rhetorical questions constantly from God. When he says before in chapter 4, like, who made man's mouth? Who makes the deaf, blind, or seen? I mean, I am the one that does that. Don't you believe what I am capable of? And then he follows with these seven I will statements. I will do all these things that we walk through. Okay. Moving on. Verse 9, chapter 6. Moses told this to the Israelites but they did not listen. They didn't listen to him because of their broken spirit and hard labor. And this is where their numbness is coming into play. They're just like, I, I don't care anymore. We are so broken, I can't pay attention to the instructions that you're saying that God's going to save us eventually. That's great. I need something right now. Okay? So verse 10 then the Lord spoke to Moses, go and tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the Israelites go from this land. But Moses said, in the Lord's presence, if the Israelites will not listen to me, then how will Pharaoh listen to me, since I am such a poor speaker? And then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them commands concerning both the Israelites and Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, to bring the Israelites out of the land of Egypt." This is not the first time that he says, I am inadequate. And some of your translations might say, I'm of uncircumcised lips. And all that means is like, I am not qualified. Okay? I'm not set up to do this for you. We've heard this multiple times now. And what this, this saying also, as we, as we open up in 10, 11, 12, it frames this funky genealogy that we're going to walk into next. And I'm going to skip forward here so that we can look at it in 26, 27, and 30. He says at the end, after God gives this genealogy to show him something that we'll talk about here in a second, he says, um, but Moses replied to the Lord's in the Lord's presence, since I am such a poor speaker, how will Moses, how will Pharaoh listen to me? He still is uncertain. He still is doubtful. And here we're going to jump back uh, uh, briefly into the genealogy, but Moses has no control. And that's very clear. He says it and we can see it, and God knows it already. And, it, and what he's leaning on mostly is his inability to speak. And this is why the genealogy that we'll bounce back to is important for us. Genealogies, as, as, as funny as they, they might seem, they're a lot more than just like phone book information of people. And in this case, it's no exception. So the neat thing about this genealogy is well, the confusing thing about it, to start with, is we open up with the sons of Jacob here. But we don't go through all of them. 
we stop at Levi. And it names the sons of Reuben and Simeon, but then in Levi, we begin to extend the genealogy a little bit further. And as you can see behind me, we go from Levi and then Kohath and then Amram and Aaron and then Eleazar and Phinehas. And what we need to see here specifically is that we are focusing mostly just, or we are focusing on the tribe of Levi. And it's important because this is how God will continue to work with his people. And we'll see that as we move forward through the Exodus. But what he's showing Moses here is his pedigree. Like, you are qualified because I've put you in this position with, other, with your ancestors. Like, you are qualified in this regard. But there's another funny thing that we see here um, in the genealogy, or, or that we don't see. We, see. we see Aaron's sons. We don't see Moses's. And it's funny because, and it's interesting because Moses is not where God continues to go working through his people. He's not a dynastic line. And in fact, I mean, we know he was married. We know he has a son. In chapter 4, we talked about it in the weird circumcision story. But after this, like, his leadership isn't even handed off to his lineage. It's handed off to Joshua, who's not related to him. And what God is trying to show Moses is, first off, this story is not about you. You're so focused on your inabilities and inadequacies that you forgot about my capabilities. And what he's saying here is that with Aaron and his lineage, I am going to work alongside you with him and through him as well. So I'm not worried about your inability to speak, okay? You don't need to complain about that anymore. I've got Aaron here for you. And God shows Moses how he is going to speak is our next point. I'm going to bounce back to the slide again because in the opening of chapter 7, he says something that's really interesting and what we can pull from the genealogy to help us understand. But chapter 7, the Lord answered Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and Aaron, your brother, will be your prophet. You must say whatever I command you, then Aaron, your brother, must declare it to Pharaoh so that he will let the Israelites go from this land." He's going to show him how he's going to speak. And the reason he says that I have made you like a god to Pharaoh, it's not that he's actually a god. And I think most of them are like, well, yeah, I get that. But, you know, why did he use this phrase? And it's because when God speaks to his people, like to the people of Israel, it kind of follows a chain of command. We have God, and then we have a messenger or a prophet. And then from there, they go to the people. And here, that chain is is kind of added to, where we have God, we have Moses, and then under that prophet, we have another prophet, Aaron. And then from him, we go to the people. And what that, in a crazy way, does, it actually elevates Moses in in a higher position. Like, God has someone that you will speak for me, and I will tell you what to say. And then Moses says, I can't speak, and he's like, I know. So, Aaron is going to speak for you, for me, to the people. And it kind of puts him in this higher position. So it's, it's not actually saying he is God. It's saying that there's a hierarchy here, and you've been put on another level, even in the midst of your doubt and your weakness. I am going to show my power. 
So this is the chain. God's the boss, Moses, Aaron, people. And that's why we open up chapter 7 in this way. And as we move on in verses 3 through 5 in chapter 7, it says this, But I will harden Pharaoh's heart and multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt. Pharaoh will not listen to you, but I will put my hand into Egypt and bring the military divisions of my people, the Israelites, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the Israelites from among them. A couple important things that we need to look at here as well is that when God says, I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and that's not the first time he said that. In the Hebrew, there's three different ways that that is described. One, in regards to Pharaoh's heart, that it's hardened. Secondly, that it's made heavy. Or thirdly, that it's been made strong. And with each of those distinctions, it also describes who is doing the hardening, who is making the heart heavy, and finally, who is making that heart strong. And we need to understand God is not forcing Pharaoh to do any of this, okay? What we see here is that Pharaoh has already made up his mind in the beginning when he said, I don't know who that God is, and I'm not going to listen to him. Already God knew that Pharaoh was going to make that decision, and so what he's doing is encouraging, kind of egging him on, like, okay, you don't believe that I'm in authority? You don't believe that I'm more powerful than anybody else on earth? All right, I'll show you. I will show you, and, I, and, I, and I, I'm willing to do that. And so when his heart is hardened, Pharaoh's already made that decision freely. And God says, I will accept your challenge. And this is what we kind of step into as we go into the plagues that we'll see for the next, you know, uh, five, six, seven chapters. And as we move through this story, Pharaoh's hardened heart his hardened heart turns to a heavy hardened heart. And we'll see that later in chapter 7 and 8 and 9, that after the first handful of plagues, he realizes that he is at fault. He realizes that he is costing his people dearly. But in the midst of that, he is committed. He is committed to his defiance against God. He's committed to the destruction that's about to ensue at the expense of his own people because he dug his heels in. He kept digging that pit even deeper in his defiance towards God, and yet he knew that he was guilty. And these are the things that I just kind of miss reading over. I mean, between English and the Hebrew, you know, part of me thinks like, man, I should really learn Hebrew, and then I realize how much work it is. I'm like, I'll let Drew do that for me. But this man is the most powerful leader in the known world. And God stretches out his arm to show that no earthly ruler will replace him. And as we conclude this middle ground section before we open up into God's signs and wonders, God is reaffirming that, yes, I'm going to accept your challenge and it is going to cost dearly. But what we need to see here is that God is always working. That in the midst of of Moses' doubt, that he's reassuring him, even though he didn't have to, 
But because of his consistent doubt, he's trying to show him, listen, I've already worked all these things out. Look at the, where I pulled you from, your pedigree, your lineage, and then who I'm kind of placing in your path. You're connecting back with your brother again. Like, he's going to help you out here. Like, have I not reaffirmed myself over and over again that you still have to question how I'm going to do this? I am always in control. I'm always going to have my outstretched arm and mighty hand in place. There's no need to be concerned. And it's in this defiance, in our defiance, Pharaoh's defiance, or in Moses' struggle or our struggle, where we forget this truth. And I thought this was really neat. If we look back to chapter 4 of Exodus in verse 11, in verse 11 of chapter 4, it says this, The Lord said to him, Who placed a mouth on humans? Who makes a person mute or deaf, seen, or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? And what we see right after that, and this is the next, next thing that we need to, to focus on a little bit in this message, is that God is always commissioning us. Because right after verse 11 of chapter 4, he says, now go. Now go and do what I ask of you. I will help you speak, verse 12 of chapter 4 says, and I will teach you what to say. And if we pull verse 11 and 12 of chapter 4 and we throw it right on top of uh, that opening section of chapter 7, verse 4, he says, verse uh, 12 of chapter 4, now go, I will help you speak and I will teach you what to say. And then chapter 7, verse 4, Pharaoh will not listen to you but I will put my hand into Egypt and bring the military divisions of my people, the Israelites, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring the Israelites from among them. The purpose of any and all things in existence is to bring glory to God. And God says, they will know me. And it's our commission, it's our commission as disciples of the God of the universe to help make his name known among the nations when he asks us. And if we are professing believers, if, if those of us in this room say, yeah, I believe in God, he has commissioned us to do this in the midst of our inadequacies, in the midst of our struggles. He says, I am going to make my name known through all of you. I will work in spite of you. It's going to happen. I'm going to fulfill what I said I'm going to do so that all the people will call upon my name and be rescued is what we see in the New Testament in Romans 10. And this is where we need to ask ourselves, with God screaming this message at us, no matter what our lineage is, we've been given the same commission to now go. And are we refusing to pay attention? Are we refusing to not listen? Are we too preoccupied with the millions of different things that are surrounding our world today? And we have tons of options to choose from to keep us preoccupied. And we need to ask ourselves, are our hearts and our ears and our minds open to God's commissioning to us? It is a hard commitment. 
And he knows that, and he told us that. And there is a cost to it. But there's also a promise. And that promise is that we will be glorified with him and get to spend all of eternity with God. And this story of Exodus is a beautiful story of redemption and rescue. In the midst of a lot of struggle and, and, and deviousness and deception and crazy, I mean, it's insane. But it's an amazing story to watch God's faithfulness and for him, and for him screaming to us, declaring who he is. And we can't miss that. And it is an honor and a privilege to be able to be a part of that as followers. Would you pray with me? Father, we praise you because of your good goodness to us. In the midst of our doubts, in the midst of our defiance, we forget your promises that you've made. We forget who you have said you are. We forget to, 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 to know how to receive the good gifts that you've already given to us. So, Father, our prayer is, is that you would soften each and every one of our hearts so that we know how to receive your word, so that we, we, we know how you want to work through us, and that we can become pleasant aromas to you to spread your word across the nations. Because that is the main goal here, is that all the nations would scream and worship your name. So we thank you, Father, that you are continually choosing to work through mankind in so many different ways that often we are blind to. We ask that even in our ignorance that you would still use us as you already have done and that you would give us hearts of humility that are constantly pointing to you in every action of our day and so many opportunities that we each have. And we thank you, Father, for this story to be able to learn from and see how you're constantly working and constantly faithful. In your name we pray, amen.